This is the Chapel of DBTS. Be sure to subscribe and listen to the Chapel messages weekly. And for more info, please go to dbts.edu. And now today's message. I feel just a little bit like my son when he was a senior in high school. Valedictorian of his class, he realized about halfway through that senior year he had to give a speech <laughs> at graduation. He wasn't too happy about that. He was, wasn't sure if it was worth it to work so hard. However, I only feel a little that way because I believe it is worth it to get through seminary, to be at seminary, to study here. It's been a great thing for me. I was already a pastor when I started here. And I want to encourage you. Uh, yeah, look out there. Yeah, yes, you young men, uh, to persevere, to keep on. It is worth it. So just don't take as long as, as I have. <coughs> I have been here to see the changing of the guard at the seminary, I guess we could say. Um, remember the old, uh, the old staff around here. and I never got a chance to take a class with Dr. McCune, but uh, we used to sit in the... In the in the lounge across the way and discuss important things like how the pheasants aren't just, they're just, the population has gone down so bad, you know, some of those kind of things. Enjoyed Dr. Priest, Dr. Combs, Dr. McCabe. One of the old guard is still here. Everybody shut, looked over this way. Dr. Compton, really appreciate this man over here. Uh, just a few months ago, my wife, uh, out there in the hallway, I think. She fell, and I had to take her to the hospital. And on the way to the hospital, I, I made two calls. I think one was to, to Ben over here. I won't be teaching my class tomorrow. This is on a Saturday. And the other call went to Dr. Compton because we were supposed to go out to eat or something the next day. And I don't think I'll make it. Not too long after I arrived at the hospital, this man was there. And spent some time with us. He actually opened the Word to me and ministered to me from the Word of God. I really appreciated that. But I also want to say that I appreciated and respected him before I even met him because my sons went to school with his sons and one of his sons and one of my sons counseled at camp together one summer and during that summer they became good friends because they were both the kind of dedicated people to be the right kind of camp counselor that they should be. And I think they saw some of others, the others there that weren't that sort. So they were drawn together there. And so I probably am, I, I probably shouldn't judge people based on their children, but I do. And in this case, I was okay doing that. Uh, there's one other p- person I wanted to mention uh, Let's get started, and this will lead right into my message. When I first came here, I, the person that was humanly responsible for me getting here, other than my wife, was uh, Claude Wiggins. I don't know if any of you know of Claude. Some of you do, certainly. He was the, uh, the assistant to the pastor here as far as the seminary was concerned. Did a lot of things. I was on the phone with him. Uh, Claude Wiggins and I go back a long time. We both arrived in the state about the same, well, I was here all along, but we both started as assistant pastors about the same time. We served together on a committee and got to know each other a little bit. I was on the phone with him, and a conversation turned to seminary, and uh, you know, I 
been thinking about going for a long, long time. He said, why don't you come over on a Monday night, take the Monday night class. I will put you up for the night, and then you can stay on Tuesday and take some classes on Tuesday. I said, you're on. <coughs> that started my time here. And the one thing that I, that I appreciated about Claude Wiggins was the fact that he, to me anyways, demonstrated a servant's heart, a servant's attitude. Always willing to do whatever you needed to be helpful. And I've not only seen that in him, I saw it when I came here. I saw it in the, the staff and the faculty as well. And I, I appreciated that. I, uh, there were some other places where I just didn't, I didn't see that attitude. But I saw it here. <coughs> and what I want to consider with you is the, that same kind of thinking, that same kind of attitude. And I, I, want, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 20 and uh, consider that matter of being a servant. Paul's speech to the Ephesian elders is recorded here. Acts 20, beginning at verse 18. And I want you to notice, I'm going to read it, I want you to notice how he starts it off. He starts it off with this matter of serving. So Acts 20, verse 18, right in the middle of the verse. You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. <clears throat> Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He Himself said, It is more blessed to to give than to receive. 
you know the background, <coughs> I think, of this chapter. The previous chapter, chapter 19, Paul's on his third missionary journey. He spends this, this three-year period in Ephesus, after which he goes into Greece. He's not there too long when he's coming back. He's headed for Jerusalem. He makes plans to go to Jerusalem back in chapter 19. It's mentioned, it's mentioned again here <coughs> in the previous verses to his speech. He doesn't want to spend much time in Ephesus, so he arranges this meeting to take place in Miletus. And he has something that he wants to say to these men that he spent three years with. <clears throat> why, why does he meet them? What is this speech to them all about? One of the things that people mention is that it's a farewell speech. And you know he, he does mention that here in verse 25. I'm not going to see you anymore. You won't see me anymore. It is somewhat of a farewell speech. Uh, it's probably you, you saw some elements of the, the second idea here, and that is that it's a, a personal apology or a personal defense. I, I did these things. I coveted no man's silver. <clears throat> some were very clear here. I'm, I'm in verse 26. I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Why does he feel the need to defend himself? <clears throat> I think there are at least two reasons here in the text that he does this, and the first is because of the, the opposition that's coming, the wolves and so forth. So the, there, there's the wolves outside and the wolves inside, and no doubt <clears throat> they're going to attack me. <laughs> Paul had his critics, didn't he? I don't know how many critics he had in the group that was there, even though he says, from among yourselves, people are going to rise up to be false teachers. And if you're a false teacher taking your teaching over here, you're also going to attack Paul, who says the teaching is supposed to be over here. Right? Paul ran into that a lot. Was it going on in Ephesus? You know, as we read this, we read the verses following what Paul says, as they wept and embraced and kissed, it, it seems everything's good here between Paul and these men. But there may have been something starting already. But the second reason is... <coughs> Paul defends himself here as because he presents himself as an example. Here's what I have done among you. When you get to verse 28, what does Paul say? Well, you do the same thing. That's how I, that's how I see the, the speech here. It's, it was a speech to exhort, to urge, to encourage them to do the right thing. So in verse 28, you have the imperatives there. You have the application. You do this. I see beginning at verse 18, everything leads up to verse 28. And after verse 28, everything kind of flows from verse 28. And there are two main main topics here. <clears throat> he urges them to follow his example. Here's what I was. No, you, you do it. You take heed and do this. And secondly, you take heed for the flock. And you guard the flock. And So after verse 28, it's all about the wolves false teachers. Well, what does all this have to do with us? That's probably pretty obvious. But here's, here's how I see this, this whole speech as, as we look at it today. It says this, Pastors must serve the Lord by being an example and a protector to God's church. Pastors must serve. It's all about serving. That's where Paul started, and that's what he finishes with here. The end of the end of the speech. Pastors must be a servant. 
And in order to be that servant that God wants us to be, we have to be the, the kind of man that God wants us to be. We have to be this godly example. And then we must warn the flock, protect the flock. We have to deal with the wolves. Let's look at that first category of things. Serving God by being a godly example. I said it started out with serving here in verse 19. So Paul says, when I was with you, you saw me serving the Lord. Okay, Paul, how did you serve the Lord? First of all, he says, I served God humbly. So, you know, why didn't Paul say, I served God with pride? <clears throat> Because we associate pride, arrogance, conceit with something other than serving. You know, it's like pride and serving, kind of like the two batteries coming together and they push each other away. They don't go together. Humility. I I not only think of Paul as being the example of humility, I, I think of Christ. He took that outer garment off, got the towel, the basin of water, began to wash the feet, took, took taking the place of the lowest slave. <clears throat> he didn't come to, to be served. He came to serve. You know, the 12, the 12 apostles, uh, they had a problem with this concept of serving, didn't they? <clears throat> Jesus had to remind them over and over again, uh, don't be seeking greatness, be, be a servant. <clears throat> and I kind of wonder, well, what was their problem? <clears throat> Why well, you know that, that that same problem comes up in the very first chapter of Acts here. Lord, time for the kingdom. They not only regarded him as the Son of God, they they regarded him as the Messiah, the coming King, <clears throat> and they were thinking kingdom. It's time, is it? Kingdom? Yeah, we want to be. We want to be. Have you know? We want to have the glory and the honor and the chief seats. And <laughs> they weren't thinking. Serving and being a servant. Paul got it, didn't he? We should get it. We should get it. Paul was all things to all men. As he addressed many of his letters, what did he call himself? Most often it was apostle. But the other times it was Paul the bondservant, the bondslave. He understood it. He lived it out. He lived it out there. Humility. How else should we serve? With tears, trials. Paul served lovingly. Paul tells us that we're supposed to be gentle, loving, and compassionate people. Jesus was the the picture of compassion and love. If we're going to love God like we should, we must love others as we should, and serve others. Paul was tender and gracious. And we, and we see that, again, after, after this was all over, the, these men loved him because they knew that he loved them. How else, Paul? I, I'm using the term faithfully. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I taught you publicly. I taught you from house to house. I taught you in those house churches. I taught you faithfully. I preached to you. I preached. I gave you everything you needed. And I like, of course, what verse twenty, what verse twenty-one says. 
have testified to both Jews and Greeks repentance toward God and faith. Repentance and faith. The, can I say this? The, the full gospel, the, the full gospel message, the full response of men includes both faith and repentance. <coughs> Paul said, I faithfully preach that. One of the other things that I noticed very early on when I was attending seminary was that when the, the teachers would present a, a doctrine or they would present, present a false doctrine or something, they were very fair in representing the other position. Uh, you know, I grew up in a kind of a fundamentalist background, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, and you had all those uh, uh, newsletters, <laughs> candle sheets, where, and there was only, and this guy did this, and this guy did that, and that guy did <clears throat> And the accuracy was not, you know, a big thing. <laughs> they were all bad. <clears throat> Paul presented things faithfully, and I, we must. <clears throat> Our teaching must be complete. It must be clear. Paul was faithful. And lastly, as, as we look at these qualities, Paul says now in verse 22, what, what's he talking? He's now he's going to Jerusalem. And what is he to expect there? Pain. <coughs> Trials. Imprisonment. He's, he's, he's getting this from a number of different sources. <clears throat> but what's he going to do? He's going to go there. He's not going to be deterred. In the next chapter, they're, they're in Caesarea. <clears throat> so they're almost to Jerusalem. And somebody again, this Agabus comes down and t- t- talks to them. Verse, uh, verse 11, Paul's going to be bound and so forth. Verse 12 says, when we, Luke says, when we heard this, we, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Everybody would have supported Paul in not going there. Right? Everywhere he was. Before this, after this, the events of 20 here. The word I'm suggesting here is that Paul served God courageously. God courageously. It's about this same time that Second, First and Second Corinthians were written. You know the passage in Second Corinthians eleven, don't you, about Paul's unwilling boasting? This happened to me, and that happened to me. Five times, I received thirty-nine lashes. Three times, beaten with rods. Lashes. These are the Jews. Rods were the Romans. I don't know which one have been, would have been more painful. <clears throat> but me, I just, I just don't know about that getting lashed for 39 straight. That had to be pretty bad. How would you do after the first one of those? I think that I would find a small church out in the wilderness uh, or something. I'd feel called to a different place. I, I don't know. Would you go back for more of that? You could have gone somewhere else. 
He went back for more. And what's he doing now? <laughs> He's going back for more. I'm going to Jerusalem. That's what I believe God wants me to do, even in spite of what I'm being told by everybody. I'm going to go do that. Courageous servant of God. He is determined to go ahead. My life is not that important to me. Verse 24. What, what's important to you? Your skin? My, my skin? What's important to me? <clears throat> Life is not number one to me. Number one to me is serving God. Notice in verse 24. I want to finish my course and the ministry, the service. I want to serve God. I want to continue to serve the Lord. I want to con- continue to fulfill that service which I received of the Lord to testify of the gospel. Verses 26 and 27 form Paul's conclusion there. Uh, I'm innocent. I'm not guilty. I have done what God wanted me to do. I have been faithful. So then he turns to those men. After talking about himself, he says, Now you do the same thing. You be the example. You be on guard. Be concerned. That word guard, I was curious as to as to the meaning of that word. It's translated a little different in different versions. Uh, give careful attention to something. Um, warn. Uh, keep watch over. Be concerned about. Be alert. It means all those things. It seems to me, this verb seems to me to have two related meanings. One is to look at, to, to, to observe, to examine, to evaluate. But the other side of the verb is, you know, do something about it. Look at yourself and then do the right thing. Be on guard. That's why guard is a really good translation because it, it involves some action, not just a, a, a look and see. And I also wonder as I, as I read that, that statement in the old King James, you know, take heed to yourself, be on guard here in the NASB. Take heed, <coughs> be on guard. Did those men understand what Paul meant there? Did, did Paul mean something specific? I, I, I believe he did. Paul didn't speak in cliches. He meant something, and, and part of that, of course, is what we've already looked at. But what, you know, <coughs> those men had spent three years with Paul. Paul had been warning them, this particular group. It says in verse 31, I think they all knew what was expected of them as pastors. 1 Timothy 3 was not written yet. Here's what a you know, pastor's supposed to do. Titus wasn't written yet. Titus chapter 1. But they'd had three years of teaching. I believe they knew what Paul meant when he said, be on guard for yourselves. <coughs> Let me just mention one thing that's not here that we find. It's one of those must-bees in Timothy and Titus. Paul spends two verses out of the seven in 1 Timothy chapter 3 regarding pastoral qualifications. Two of those verses are about the home and family. Another verse says, women, be the right kind of husband, be the husband of one wife. Those, those pastors there 
needed to fulfill their past their their family responsibilities very important i i think based on first timothy 3 when i was in uh, when i was an assistant i was taking some college classes <coughs> at a local college there community college and i met another man who was there he was he was a believer and he went to a baptist church on the other side of town we struck up a friendship one day he told me something that i I'm going to repeat some hearsay this morning. He told me that his pastor said in a public meeting, I don't know if it was a Sunday or Wednesday, whatever it was, this pastor said, I delegated the responsibility of raising my children to my wife. I wasn't very tactful. I said, that's wrong. (laughs) And it is. It's wrong. Does the wife have have a responsibility there? Absolutely and surely. Can a, can, a, can a father, whether he's a pastor or anybody, can a father say, I, I really can't handle this. I'm too busy in the ministry. Uh, I'll let my wife do this. Can we do that? No. I, 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 I'm pretty sure that nobody here would ever say that. But men, please don't ever do that by accident either. Don't do that. Be an example, you yourself be an example. Serve God by being an example. Secondly, serve God by being a protector to the church. Take heed to the church. Guard the church. Why, Paul? Because it's God's church. Verse 28 says that very clearly, doesn't it? It's the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You get to be a pastor. We all know this. It's not your church. It's God's church. We serve the church as we serve God. He paid for it. Just like He bought us and paid for us and He owns us. It's His church and He cares about that church. So don't let the church, like a bunch of dumb sheep, don't let them get out there where they're easy pickings for the wolves. Don't let them go there. Do all you can not to let them go there. And I, and I believe Paul is talking about a ministry of warning here. Savage wolves are coming. You've got to warn them about the wolves. Within the wolves, warn them. A kind of a negative ministry, a warning ministry. Paul says he did it all the time. Verse 31, I did not cease to admonish, warn you. I don't enjoy being negative. For 10 years I drove a a school bus in a, in a public school who I had to be like these Ephesian fellows. I had to make money besides the church, you know, very small church other side of the state. And a bus driver <coughs> is just about 100% of the time negative. I didn't enjoy that, working with kids in that way. Stop that. Don't do that. Sit down. Da, 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 da. Knock it off. <coughs> I don't enjoy listening to negative radio, like the political stuff. This guy did this, and this guy did that. <clears throat> but men, if we're going to be God's pastors, we have to warn people. We have to present the truth. We have to present what's wrong out there, too. It doesn't have to be all the time, but it's got to be done. 
because there's wolves out there. Paul provides again the example in verse 31. I did this. I did this. I was warning all the time. Secondly, in verse uh, 32, he, he uh, you know, supports his answer by saying, I am trying to encourage you as well in doing this. I commend you to God. I believe verse 32 is a, is a verse of encouragement. I commend you. That is, I entrust you. I commit you to God. He's going to care for you. I won't be around to care for you. God's going to care for you. Be faithful in your ministry of warning. I commit you to God, and I commit you to God's Word, the Word of His grace, especially the Gospel. Yes, I think especially the Gospel here. The Gospel will edify you, and the Gospel will tell you all about your inheritance. If you respond right to the Gospel, and I assume these men have, that means you will have this inheritance. You are sanctified. That's past sanctification. You are sanctified. Once again in verse 33, Paul picks up the idea of a, of a defense there. <clears throat> does that belong up in the first part of this speech, or does it belong down here? I think Paul said it here because he was contrasting himself with the false teachers. What do we know from the Scripture about false teachers? Uh, he says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold, and I, and I worked for whatever I received. Would you say that characterized the false teachers? You say, no, that's not what they were like. They were the ones who are greedy. We, we, we see it around us today, don't we? I don't have any facts and figures for you this morning about the, the richest religious leaders in our country, but I see that stuff once in a while. <clears throat> I'm not like them, he says. Don't you be like them. He says, I'm not covetous. I worked. Do you know Paul's policy? Whatever he went somewhere, he didn't take their money. He didn't want to appear that way. And so then he says to them, you, uh, you must serve others. I coveted no one. I worked, verse 34. I showed you that you have to work hard, verse 35. What about those Ephesian elders? Do you suppose that most of them had an, another job besides being a pastor? Did you? I kind of assume that. Could be wrong. I think they had to work. <clears throat> Does Paul tell them that they have to have a second job? You must do this. I, I, I don't think that's here. We know other places about in the pastoral epistles and so forth. You, know, you should earn a living by your by your ministry. But what he does insist on is that they had to serve other people. You see that there. These hands ministered. They served. Verse 35, and I showed you the pattern here. You must help the weak. It's better to give than to receive, just like Jesus said. <clears throat> so how's your, uh, how's your ranking on servant, servanthood this morning? How's your attitude toward being a servant of others? Serving God first and serving others. <clears throat> Just a few months ago, it was time for our church's inner cities annual meeting, and they they part of that is electing of deacons. And I had been off the deacon board for a year, and and I was thinking to myself, you know, I kind of hope that they don't get my name in there this time. Okay, this is confession time, all right. <clears throat> I 
got this going on. I got to do this and that. And I'm going to graduate. Maybe I could just not do it this next time. Well, sure enough, I got the email from Pastor Doran that says, uh, will you consider serving as a deacon? Uh, your name has you know, come up. Okay. Am I going to tell Pastor Doran or, or anybody else, hey, I don't want to serve. And this is the conversation I have with myself. Am I going to say I don't want to serve? Is, is serving as a deacon really that tough, Smith? I said, no, I don't want to say that. I don't want to be that way. Of course, after I said I would do it, then I hoped that maybe they wouldn't elect me. They would. <laughs> but I'm willing to serve. I, we should be willing to serve. And in our serving, we need to remember that we're servants. Paul was the great example. Well, humanly speaking, he was the great example. He was great. There were times when Paul had to defend his apostleship, and he, and he said at one time, you know, Philippians, if anyone should have confidence in the flesh, I more, I am all these things. Paul also said what? I am less than the least of all saints. I'm an apostle that's out of, you know, out of the regular time. And he recognized that he didn't deserve to be saved. Neither do we. We don't deserve our salvation. We don't deserve to be allowed to serve God on any level. And most of you are heading for some kind of upper position in serving God. And I, I encourage you to go that direction. But remember, we're, we're servants. We have to serve Him with humility. And we have to serve him with the kind of faithfulness that, that Paul had. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we're grateful for this passage. We, we thank you for the heart of the Apostle Paul as, as it's revealed to us here. And Lord, help us to take these challenges to heart that we would want to serve you faithfully and courageously. That we would serve you by being the right kind of leader. We would lead by example, just as Paul did. And we would lead others, whether it's a local church or some other person in some other situation, we would lead them faithfully and warn them and do our best to protect them and guide them in the good and right way. We would equip others to serve you faithfully. We thank you for this passage. Help us to lay it to heart and find a place to serve you. Thank you for listening to the DBTS Chapel Hour. DBTS is a ministry of Intercity Baptist Church. To find out more about Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, please go to dbts.edu.